Right, we have a literal ticking clock because apparently my laptop will restart in one hour and 29 minutes and eight seconds, no matter what Excellent. I do. Secret agent man, secret agent man, they've given you a number and taken away your name. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is episode two of Secret Agent Men. My name is Matt Waters. I am recovering from some illness, so this will be possibly the sexiest episode of the show. Not the most pleasant for Ben Phillips, because I'll probably be coughing and editing that out, but for you lovely listeners, you get to hear this. Ben, how are you? Are you looking forward to hearing me cough, like, rampantly throughout this episode? Yes. You sick bastard. I I don't know, I'm I'm thrown off by the fact that we've only got an hour and a half to record the episode. Yeah, we have a ticking clock. My laptop is going to restart, and rather than let it we're just gonna try and beat it we've got just under an hour and a half so i think we can do that we don't talk that much we only talk more if i think the movie is like a glittering piece of masterpiece which spoilers was not my reaction to watching this movie for the first time in one sitting well this movie is the born identity and matt waters's tiny little heart broke to learn that this movie isn't as good as he remembers it being <laughs> similar problems to mission impossible in my opinion wherein it's got some good big scenes and then some of the interconnective stuff is a bit meh. I still would rather watch it. I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> is that true? I think because I know where it's going, I'd rather watch the Born Identity, the Mission Impossible one, but yeah, it's different than I remember it, let's say that. So it was technically released after Mission Impossible 2, but in the spirit of some variety, we want to flip between franchises every episode, so Mission Impossible 2 will be next week. Yeah, um, and like, and I think the mission statement is to talk about like how they've interacted with each other, and yeah. I do not think Bourne <laughs> took anything from Mission Impossible 2, so it doesn't really matter. To where we cover that one. I don't think anyone took anything from Mission Impossible 2. Hollywood did. They decided not to hire John Woo anymore. Well, maybe they regret that. Oh no, he did Wind Talkers. Wind Talkers and Paycheck. So ben Affleck's Paycheck? Ben Affleck's Paycheck. Wow. He does He does Face Off and then they're like, wow, Face Off is huge. Let's <laughs> give you more money to do whatever you want. Hmm. Yeah. So released June 2002, directed by Doug Lyman, who to this point had done Swingers and Go, and would go on to do Mr. and Mrs. Smith and Edge of Tomorrow. He will not be joining us on this Bourne journey going forward, and one might say that is why the later ones are better. I don't know. Written by Tony Gilroy, who wrote the whole trilogy. To this point, he'd written The Devil's Advocate and Armageddon, and that's not much to be proud of and he is joined here by William Blake Heron who role models he gets a story credit I don't even think a script credit very little else so it's hardly the the banger of a writer's room that was Mission Impossible 1 but hey it is just under two hours so it's longer than Mission Impossible 1 60 million dollar budget gross 214 million so less of a financial hit as well but you know it made money so you can see why they would go forward with them but yeah i i really remembered it different i mean that's the thing is like i i told you that i've watched this movie in chunks yeah. like so often and the realization that realistically i'm still remembering most of the movie apart from just the final 
chunk was a little bit surprising because I was like, oh yeah, the bit in the apartment where they fight the French guy is <laughs> is like half an hour into the movie. But really, it's like the halfway point. And yeah. after that, there's just kind of a lot of faffing around. Then we get to Clive Owen and then the movie just kind of ends very abruptly. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you know, he's floating and then, and then the bench and then the security deposit box and then the embassy and then... And then there's a car chase, and, and oh, everything else is not great. <laughs> and the farm, of course. So Doug Lyman grew up a fan of the Robert Ludlum novels. Yes, we have another franchise based... Well, no, Bond is based on books. Bourne is based on books. Mission Impossible is based on a TV show, so... The superior medium. Of course. Of course. Books are out. Yeah, so after he completed Swingers, he began trying to create a film adaptation of The Bourne Identity, and many years were spent. Universal got the rights off of Warner Bros, who originally got them for him, and then when Tony Gilroy was hired, Doug Lyman asked him not to read the novel, and instead he handed him an outline of the novel and asked him to write a script based on that, and I'm gonna say that's probably not a great way to write a film, but... (laughs) What do I know? They carried out two years of production work before William Blake Heron rewrote the script in 1999, and shooting began in late 2000. Now, you heard it came out in June 2002. Swingers came out in, like, 96. That is a long time to be fucking around trying to make this damn thing. In the meantime, some excellent people passed on playing Jason Bourne. Most importantly to this podcast, Tom Cruise. He could have been in both franchises. He could have Jeremy Renner it. Brad Pitt, Russell Crow, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, all turned it down. See, that's, that's weird. So they started going for, like, the big 90s action guys, and obviously, like, at this point, or, like, 80s, 90s action guys, yeah. and obviously at this point, Hollywood's kind of shifted away from that, and a big part of this is, like, you look at 90s action movies and 80s action movies, and it is Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, all those kind of guys, Yeah. and it's all guys who are, like, ripped beyond hell, who don't look like realistic humans, kind yeah. of <laughs> punching people of, like, vague ethnic descent, yeah. and I do think, like, one of the things that, and it was combined with Bond kind of coming back in a big way with Goldeneye and stuff like that was the more suave, the more realistic looking guy kind of taking on people who weren't of various ethnic (laughs) denominations. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I think Arnie's least believable roles are the ones where he's just like a normal guy with 2.4 children and a wife. You mean True Lies? True Lies is kind of cool, but just, you know, any film where he starts off with just a normal American family and his name is John or something, it's like, no, sorry, your name is, like, Hercules. (laughs) Yeah, and the reason, you know, some of those actors are much older than Matt Damon was, because in the books, Jason Bourne is older. He was played by Richard Chamberlain, wasn't he, in, like, a a TV miniseries? A very faithful TV miniseries versus this that pretty much gutted it of most of the the content. And yet it's the most faithful one. What is the original concept then? Well, most famously, the book, his nemesis is Carlos the Jackal, the the real life criminal who is nowhere to be found here. And there's a lot of this, a lot of the like Iran Contra stuff because his dad was involved in the proceedings with Oliver North and stuff. And uh, he kept like a, I think he wrote a memoir about it all, and he based Conklin on Oliver North and and stuff like that. The sort of CIA. Dirty dealing stuff I think is born out of a more personal uh, born <laughs> uh, a more personal side to it but there is the Iran Contra stuff somewhere in there and I think he's like after he like gets shot he, he spends like 
months and months recovering and has multiple surgeries done on him and, and all this stuff and it's it's less slick it's less modern and carlos the jackal is involved is about all i know but there was a great deal of friction during production between lineman and universal they took the film way over budget delayed release by quite a lot it was supposed to come out 2001 uh, and it already took so long to get going and matt damon was with him they they fought to keep stuff like the farm scenes towards the end it's very much like age of ultron you know like <laughs> and they felt that's the heart of the movie and is important to jason's character but it got like massively rewritten uh you said like um his original script is out there somewhere T- tony gilroy's original script is out there somewhere i mean i literally like in the middle of the movie like i missed a line of dialogue and because i was using a, a service that doesn't allow subtitles for some mm-hmm. reason and i i just want to re-see what that line of dialogue is about reversing i went back and i was like wow this script is really sweary like everyone <laughs> like, and obviously like you could see like big bits of it were the same but also it felt like Adewale Akinoye Baje's character was in it more because there was like a whole subplot with him before like because like in the in the movie he shows up for his scene on tv and then disappears until he goes to the morgue but it felt like there was actual following him around and I think they filmed more scenes with him that are cut it was a messy, messy film. They were sending, like, Tony Gilroy was having to send dailies to Universal, and, like, the most famous thing was they asked Lyman if he could shoot the film like Tony Scott, to which he responded, maybe you should hire Tony Scott to shoot it then. <laughs> and that's a risky thing to say, because studios will do that. Maybe less back in the day than they do now, but, yeah. And to confirm your suspicions because of how incredibly Eurocentric it is, lots of unsubtitled French and German, it is partially German-funded, so that would probably be why they had a horrible time making it matt damon is like i mean it was tough but all movies are tough i wouldn't say it was like insanely tough we're still making movies or whatever um but i think doug lyman like had a very very bad time and uh, they actively shopped the fil- the sequel to other people because they were like nah we don't like you <laughs> it does stay with universal though, doesn't it doesn't yeah universal kept the rights and they shopped it to new people oh as in new directors oh so it was doug lyman who was the, the yeah, biggest... yeah sorry yeah yeah the the studio shopped it to new directors without even talking to him they were just like no you're not coming back so look at i'm interested oliver wood did the cinematography for all three movies mm-hmm. just i would have thought that like Greengrass would have come in with his own guy rather than the guy who did the cinematography in the last one you would because like i mean I, I, as i've said like the the one thing that i know about Bourne, apart from like he's a guy who wakes up with amnesia and all the rest of it is it's kind of renowned for shaky cam <laughs> not yet <laughs> not yet no 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 and obviously this movie is very much a lot of the things that I think of in this trilogy, which, you know, I will keep calling it a trilogy, even though there are five goddamn movies now. Is... Well, only one of which is related. Yeah. Is... And it's the only one you haven't seen, which I have. Yeah. It's the shaky cam, it's the DIY spy stuff, it's, I don't know, it's just not what's here, basically. So, our agent for this mission is Jason Bourne, played by Matt Damon. I'm gonna say, obviously, he's a better actor than Tom Cruise. I don't know if you're gonna disagree with that statement, but I think he is. And I also think, oh, I don't know, Daniel Craig has shown some range post-Bourne, well, not post-Bond, he's still playing him, but, you know, in the last couple of years, he's played some pretty wild characters, but, I mean, to me, Damon is the best actor of the three we're gonna get. I I think Cruise has the best filmography. Uh, Yeah. I do think Matt Damon is a better actor, but I also think you look at some of the stuff that he was doing in kind of the early 2010s and whatnot, and you kind of of go, this is a man hunting for an identity. Um, (laughs) Podcast over! (laughs) 
you look at him after Born Ultimatum comes out, and you kind of go, you've got no idea what you're actually looking for. At what this are point, you trying he's jumping to say from about interesting we bought characters. a zoo and Elysium, then? Elysium, we bought a zoo, Contagion, the Adjustment Bureau. It's like he's hunting for, for a career. But no, I, I think I would agree that he is a yeah. better actor on paper. And But he's also the one of the three that I least enjoy. Actually, no, that's a lie, because like I do love his little cameos that he was making in movies, where it was like, <laughs> the plot of movies is, we need to go save Matt Damon from stupidly expensive places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because, much like Ethan Hunt, there isn't actually that much to the personality of Jason Bourne. Like, he is often pretty mute, and he is kind of just passively... He's not uh, an unkind person. Like, he, he's perfectly pleasant, but he sort of is just quite withdrawn until the shit is about to go down, and then he suddenly, like, perks up. But I think... Damon does manage to breathe quite a lot into him that makes him not boring, and and he comes across as quite a likable individual, even though you find out some fucked up shit about what Jason Bourne has done, will and, and all that. You know, I I think the part where he is multilingual, hyper capable, he comes across as very smart. And I know that we talked about how Ethan Hunt, like many Tom Cruise protagonists, is like a perfect man, but. I don't know, I, I think that Bourne is intended to come across as far more cerebral than the other two, but then he's also incredibly action-packed. I don't know, it's, it's a weird one to talk about these characters, because in a lot of ways they are just vessels for the movie. Like, Bond has a clear-cut personality that is, like, decades old, but Ethan Hunt and Jason Bourne are just kind of, like, often mute spy men who just fuck shit up. And I guess Ethan is a little bit more wisecracky, but... Even Ethan becomes a crazy man, is, well, is, is what the character is. Good. Good, good. All I know is that Jason Bourne goes on to do bare-knuckle boxing in some capacity. That's all I know about the film Jason Bourne. Um, that's all I remember of the film Jason Bourne. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think this movie calls on Matt Damon to be charismatic, because, but because he is kind of naturally charismatic at points it kind of comes across even though like you watch this movie and you don't really get a feel for the character whatsoever like other than yeah. the end they make the point that like, he doesn't kill people with children around <laughs> yeah he signed up to be a monster but he's less of a monster than some of the monsters yeah. so and, like, and, the, the, and the movie kind of keeps on making a point where like there's a running I, 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 call, I want to call it a gag because he never really does use a gun throughout the entire movie really apart from the shotgun against Clive Owen but like uh, every, yeah, single time, whole... every single time he finds a gun it's like in the bin don't want it yeah, I think, I think that's very telling because, I mean, he will go on to use them here and there, but I think it's odd because he comes across of, as a pacifist, as a peaceful man, as someone who wants to just not do any of this, but then all of his instincts are to just absolutely wreck shop. And I do think it is actually quite interesting to reveal that your protagonist has this, like, horrible past, and we'll really get into it. Next movie, and the one after, and to ask you to... I don't think they're asking you to just, like, be like, ah, but he doesn't remember any of that, so it's fine. But it is an interesting choice to be like, this person you're following did some real bad stuff, and you have to still follow them. And they'll, they will play on that more, but for now it's just like... What did he do? And then you find out he didn't even do the thing that he was supposed to do, so I guess 
else you can forgive him. So our mission is somewhat convoluted. <laughs> so Jason, well, I mean, like, on the base level, it's find out who I am. Well, yes, Jason is found floating in the Mediterranean Sea with bullets in his back, no memory, but an abnormal set of skills, and he follows the few clues he has to try and figure out who he is, how he got there, and also like he's trying to evade various law enforcement agencies and the shadowy Operation Treadstone, which is a CIA black ops program. You will get no information about. I mean, on the surface, yeah, it is a somewhat easy plot of just like, who am I? And then he tries to find that out. But there are some weird, convoluted, like, plot contrivances that bring things, and or some stuff that doesn't isn't fleshed out enough or doesn't have enough time to, to simmer. Like, I didn't even realise until after watching it that you never even hear Conklin and Abbott's names set out. Like, their names appear in the credits, Brian Cox and Chris Cooper. Like, they never say their names. You don't get a full sense of what is happening with Treadstone at the CIA, any of that. Is it basically, it's a subdivision that Chris Cooper runs that Brian Cox is in charge of, but has willingly decided to keep his hands clear of, which is why he has the plausible deniability when he talks to higher-ups about I, I think assassinations that goes on. I think basically, yeah, that like Cooper needed Cox's backing to get the program running, but it's his program he runs, but then if it goes wrong, it looks bad on Cox as well. Because Cox goes in there and goes like, like, what happened? He goes, oh, I thought you didn't want to know anything, and he's yeah. like, well, this is the first time you fucked up. Yeah, and this concept of the people at Langley, or wherever they are, somewhere in a CIA building, all frantically, like, snaking each other and be like, this is both our asses if you don't clean this up. That is a big part of it as well, but, like, even that is underbaked here, I feel. Because you got two great actors there to play with. And Chris Cooper is just sort of just snarling and just, and just I don't know, like, I guess when he actually physically confronts Jason at the end, you get something out of him, but, like, it feels like a waste of Chris Cooper. But I, I am at least comforted knowing that Brian Cox will get far meatier stuff to do next time, so. I mean, I mean, Chris Cooper wins his Oscar this year for adaptation. adaptation Featuring Brian Cox. Featuring <laughs> Brian Cox. Yeah, the reunion you, we all wanted. Do you, do you reckon they just filmed it, like, next door and were like, <laughs> oh, you've got a lot of scenes with Brian Cox, you want him just come over and... Bang them all out right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's do it. So, like, my big observation was, boy, it sure is pretty murky up until the Swiss bank, isn't it? Because you've yeah. just got, like, as I said, Chris Cooper and Brian Cox's motivations are unclear. It's a bit wishy-washy. It's a much uglier movie than I remember. Like, it's a lot of muted colour palettes and stuff. I don't know, it's just kind of all over the place and it shocked me to see how all over the place it is. And, you know, you get fun stuff like this trope of... I feel this has been everywhere since this movie of like he's just like no please I don't want to fight and then he fucks him up and it's like oh my god I can fight and it's like that's in like the amazing Spider-Man and, and others that I can't think of right now but just but the, no it's, it's that, that thing like you cast someone who is physically unassuming and then you have it be that they are like the most badass person in the world but yeah. it does t it does take the movie about like 10-15 minutes to get to that point because there's a lot of stuff going on on the boat and yeah. like I mean the first convolution of the movie is like oh yeah we've got in his skin is a little laser pointer that has Embedded the bank code. In his hip, yeah. <laughs> it's a physical piece of microfilm in the book. They updated it to be technologically suave. <laughs> well, like, is he supposed to, like, rip that out of him to, like, find out the bank code? Is it in case he forgets? Because, like, that's got all his stuff in it that he's supposedly supposed to know where it is. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit. If a surgeon hadn't got his hands on him, he would never have, like, 
just dug that out of his own hip, would he? Well, that's the thing is, like, it surely it'd be more interesting if later on the movie when they activate, like, Clive Owen and... Uh, the other two. The other two. Like, if they actually had to get a knife and cut out their microfilm to find out where their weapons are being stashed. But, like, there's no point of that, which makes it feel odd. I don't think it is meant to be, like, this is where you go get your stuff. I think it's just... I really don't know, because, I mean, a trait we get from him here is that he largely has a photographic memory, so, like, he could just look at those numbers and just he would just know them. And I don't think they planned for him to develop amnesia and have to, like, retrace his steps, like, very clearly, but it's very wishy-washy. Do, do, do they ever get into, like, how he got amnesia from two bullet shots to the back? Trauma. Is it, is it just trauma? It's just trauma. You can go play uh, the video game, the uh, the Born Conspiracy, I think it's called, which basically adds some stuff before the boat mission and then recreates some of the big scenes from the movie. If you want, don't though. I guess just the trauma of like I almost killed a man in front of his children and now I've been shot and I've been deprived oxygen. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, they never really. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just like he has amnesia. It's like right, but he has had no head injury, has he? No, like the normal cause of amnesia. Yeah. Oh, did you know that uh, Bourne is named after the first recorded like actual fugue state where a guy just upped and moved his life to another city, took on a new. I think he became a preacher or something, and then he randomly woke up, remembered his old life. And none of his new life, and was like, the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> That's cool. That yeah, I, cool. I think so. <laughs> to me, like, the first, like, cool stuff, you know, when he gets to the bank and, like, he's got his safety deposit box full of, like, various currencies and passports and the gun and, and just sort of flipping through and just, like, you know, he's like, oh, Jason Bourne, that's me. Just because that's the first one he picked up. So we could have had this series called John Michael Caine or, or like, any of the other... I th- what's one of them? It's, like, Gilberto something. It's like, you're not passing for Brazil. Well, he picks, he picks up the first one, but there are, aren't there multiple with his actual name in it and then there's the one underneath hey that ben, are like the hey hidden ben, ones hey ben jason bourne's not his actual name oh god there's a present for you <sighs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, I, i've seen the fourth one maybe they call him by a different name in that I, I don't know but they keep on referring to him as bourne that's his most used one and i think all the others are just supposed to be like because i mean he operates out of paris as bourne but then he's got ones for other countries. Yeah, I yeah, I think David maybe... David Webb. Yeah, oh, don't look it up. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I must have heard it if, they, yeah. if it's in Jason Bourne. It will come up, and I think it's just a kind of thing of like, I know you don't care who I was. I have been living this way, and I'm just going to go by Jason Bourne. Imagine if they called the next movie David Webb. Like, who would, <laughs> would understand? Anyway, I think it is very cool, like, him opening that box, and it's like, who the fuck am I? And, like, I guess you can guess that's the way it's going, given his sort of skill set, but yeah. And as you said, like, him leaving the gun behind and taking his little bin bag full of cash, and then off he goes. Which is, like, weirdly like a sack. I was, I like, very like, This very is designed com- for this, but I think it's meant to just be a Europeans are more like practical. environmentally friendly. Yeah, environmentally friendly and practical. So it's like, yes, it's a drawstring bin bag that you can easily dispose of. The whole thing with the little quasi chase from the because it's like someone at the bank directly calls Treadstone, and I guess it's because it's a Treadstone account or or something. Well, I they, they got a spy in the bank. Yeah, like because throughout these movies, it's rarely someone from the actual CIA following. They generally are like coercing local 
law enforcement to do their bidding, and it's like, how is the hierarchy of this? But I mean, they do feel pretty incompetent based on this movie. Yeah, you say like, that when uh, when it's the U.S. Embassy, those are real ass Marines, and they got to come up with their own like choreography and all of that shit, and they failed to find a man in a yellow fishing vest that's on backwards. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of like the scene on the bridge at the end where they've got like all the guys posted on the thing. There's the guy who like really blatantly pulled his collar up to talk into it. <laughs> I'm just like, if he's anywhere, he can obviously spot that you're talking into your jacket. It's just the complete different end of like, because in Mission Impossible, to compare and contrast the two movies. Yes. <laughs> it, takes, it takes his skill of recognising that the drunk German couple, or the whatever couple from the start of the movie, are also people in who are working in the restaurant that he's at. Yeah. To go like, ah, you've got the same people, because they're actually just doing a job, rather than really blatantly standing on a bridge, not yeah. doing anything in particular, but talking into their... I've got to admit that, like, I've been on my high horse about, like, how Bourne is, like, a more cerebral series and Mission Impossible is dumb, but, like, and even with a campier tone, Mission Impossible is coming across as, like, slick, whereas Bourne is taking itself so seriously, but, like, all of that stuff is, like, not great. Who's the spy here? (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing is, I think Mission Impossible, for all its faults, and we'll get into its faults in the next one... Boy, howdy. (laughs) (laughs) ...understands it needs to have a sense of humour, which... I, I don't know whether or not the next couple of these do. I know Bond at points has a sense of humour. Like, I also think it's one of, like, one of the few masterpieces we're going to get to, and this series is a Bond movie. How dare you? <laughs> these are all masterpieces <laughs> in their own way. Mission Impossible uh, 2 is a masterpiece of a different kind. <laughs> he's at the embassy. Well, he then... goes into the embassy because he knows the police can't go in there with him because jurisdiction, but then the, the Americans are like, hey, you. <laughs> um, and all of this is because, I mean, they can do all of this because he assaults some policemen, some Swiss policemen. So it's like, I know why they're really going for him, but like the cover story is like, oh yeah, you, you beat up cops, you can't do that. And then he flees them, he does this bizarre like holding onto the side of the building thing. That, like, That's cool, I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Like, like the thing of like he's reaching for it and then when the door opens, he's like, well I gotta do it now and just like pulling himself in close. That's all really cool. For me, it gets shockingly it gets interesting when he gets someone to talk to when Marie enters so like he saw her in the embassy she's having some trouble with visas and he offers her $20,000 to drive him to Paris and and he explains his situation to her on the way and that they're talking and everything yeah I just think like most things once you give someone someone to bounce off and to he's not really giving her exposition because he doesn't know anything but just sort of someone to puzzle her out with I think it makes everything more interesting and I think it makes him more likable because they have a really good chemistry to them and he he achieves one of my biggest fantasies of like someone mutters under their breath in a foreign language and then you answer back in that language fluently it's like yeah go Jason she maybe has that trope going on of like falling in love with this guy for absolutely no reason because once they actually get there she's very like well uh I guess by then but I don't want to go it's like eh, that's a bit fast but I certainly think once Marie enters the picture uh, it improves things tremendously, and I think it's really cool that, like, Doug Lyman, like, one of his inspirations was Run Lola Run, and he went and fucking cast Lola. So it's like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, but it is kind of sad that this is kind of, like, the end of her Hollywood career. Like, she's in Born Supremacy, I, I, I can't imagine she's in it a lot. <laughs> she does Blow, she does this, and mm. then she kind of disappears. And she still pops up on TV shows now, now yep. and then. But it is one of those things where, like, obviously Run Lola Run is one of those... 
like really fun European movies from the 90s. I mean, I, Tom Twyker did it, and he's obviously one of the Wachowski's go-to guys now. But yeah, it's just what it's just like. Oh, she. I mean, like I, I don't think she really does hold her own in an interesting way but she does help make the movie more interesting yes that, that's that's more what i'm going for that like she may not necessarily be an interesting character herself but like i think she unlocks something for born and the rest of the movie meanwhile conklin orders the other three treadstone agents i mean they imply there are there were only four of them including born because it's like all of them at the same time and it's like all this comes across as so much cheesier than i remembered like Castell fucking ziplining through a window, firing an automatic weapon wildly when he's supposed to be exactly like Bourne, this like suave, deep cover, multilingual, smooth dude who conducts stealth operations and this is how he tries to kill Jason Bourne. And then they have this fight that is full of goddamn striking sound effects, which I am 90% sure those go away because I was stunned to hear them. And then uh, when he loses, he throws himself over a balcony in a really like comical way and it's like what the fuck is any of this <laughs> it's like the movie changes tones and genres for about five minutes and it's like they got the director of mr bean in to <laughs> to do this fight scene it feels like the most compromising in the movie like yeah. that that universal would like we want something that's more action-packed and so they come in and go like just add some sound effects and it's fine and we'll be shoot his entrance and exit like the fight's fine the actual fight in the thing with like him stabbing him in the hand with pencil and of yeah. pulling it out and all the rest of it it's kind of quite cool yeah but it's just it starts and ends with someone literally gate crashing the movie a serviceable fight happens and then the movie goes back to the tone that it's had for the first hour or whatever yeah. with people in dark rooms talking about things and jason bourne kind of running from place to place yeah doing things on like a more secretive level get used to that it's also weird and i do like the tension before he arrives of like them walking around this apartment that is his but obviously feels like a stranger's and like he starts to get that those tingles and like he's got the knife and he like drops it in the floor when she, when marie like talks to him and stuff and so that's the, the thing you are you are looking for someone to be on the level of born because he's like walking around drop, yeah. the, drop, the, the knife dropping on the floor because he sees someone he's friendly with but doesn't want to scare her yeah yeah she doesn't know that he's like kung fu man at this point yeah <laughs> and then like you expect to like someone to tap on a window he goes to investigate it and then they come through different window instead yeah. it is just the most like surprise fuckers yeah, it's not even like a scene where he talks to treadstone uh castell and kind of goes like born's one of the best we've got i need to go in with the all-out offensive approach yeah and like, like in the future he will be matched with the with his level of tactic and 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 like professor clive owen he comes across as similarly inclined but castell just seems like a fucking goon man like yeah, and manheim like... doesn't even fucking talk or do anything really but yeah yeah because they, they talk about it in terms of like all four of them are assassins but they're assassins who are supposed to make it look like someone else did the job they're invisible yeah and like like castell's not fucking invisible or maybe yeah, he literally is maybe that's his superpower <laughs> and only we can see him. the entire point of the movie at the end is them kind of going like we don't hire people to kill people we hire people to make go in there like the only explanation is and so but like castell going in there it's like well who are you going to pin the blame on for the exactly. death of jason bourne so. other than a guy jumping through the window with an assault rifle. Yeah. Hey, maybe this is why Treadstone gets shut down. Maybe they're just but, really terrible. Maybe he got, like, two good ones, and he was like, uh, 
uh, don't ask about the others. <laughs> but yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, all of them seem to have kind of skills. And Jason Bourne is, he can get into places, make it look like a, a something else, no, and get I out. No, I think they are all supposed to have that exact same skill. <laughs> I mean, but like, the Professor is a sniper rifle, and it's like, well... Yeah, but Bourne's a sniper as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, they are in- intended to be identical. We'll we'll get into it, but yeah, Castell is so off for the entire thing, and like, yeah, this will be a thing. He will fight these agency trained people, and they have these fights that are like somewhat comical, but in a brutal way. Like the thing of him just using stuff in the environment around him is very much a thing, and I think John Wick definitely took some stuff from Bourne, and it's definitely definitely gone in its own it's not like a ripoff like john wick has done its own stuff for the genre this is one of like clive owen's first big move isn't it like yeah he has gotten part the year before he's been doing the hire for bmw that's why he drives a bmw in this movie is it (laughs) yep It's fucked up that he's one of the highest credited people and he's got about three lines. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, it's one of those, it almost feels like they were psychic and they were like, yeah, this guy's going to be big. Because then after this, he does, like, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out when do I care about Clive Owen? Children, man. <laughs> but, you know, that's the like, because he, he is so high build and it's because he's, like, the one plot deployance that they have in the movie. But it does feel weird that they've kind of singularly picked one of these three actors to be, to not be a nobody. Yeah, he's important. I'll say that. Um, okay. Yeah. All this being said about Castell being ridiculous, I think this car chase throughout Paris is legit as hell. I think it's a really good... And they will they will up it next time. But the ridiculousness of this little mini bombing it around Paris and, like, do you take care of this car? Like, you know. And it's like, I like that it's not a sports car, you know, that it's, it's not some ridiculous, like, muscle car chase. Like, it is just a, a bog-standard car. Yeah, I mean, I, I got no complaints about the car yeah. chase. It's just, it's just, I mean, like, car chases are never, like, my favourite thing. A car chase has sure. to be something, uh, uh, like, ooh, something off to make me kind of go, okay. yeah, that was a great car chase. But, I like, do, yeah, I, no, I, I, I watch it, I'm like, yeah, good. Solid. I kind of like how they go into it and out of it of like he has put together he's gonna have to do this and he's like buckling up and he's like watching the police and checking the car and stuff and then when they come out of this like frantic thing this sort of quiet okay so we can never come back to this car we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and like just uh, just shocked into like silence and everything i think that's really good but yeah has it come up that she's of romani right i don't know if that is meant to be a serious comment or more referring to the fact she's nomadic and she literally bounces around europe it could be either. I've seen people refer to her as the word we don't say anymore, but I guess we did in 2002. I, I don't know. But yeah, she's she's off the grid a bit. She's lived in like Spain and France and Germany and, and all sorts of places. But Yeah, and like, it, it's that interesting thing where like they're trying to figure out why he's hanging out with this person. And like the one person he's chosen to hang out with is someone who has so little of a footprint. It's a real contrivance that he picked someone that is harder to trace. They do end up managing it. And I think that's another element as well, is you're supposed to be slightly terrified of the capability of the CIA or maybe just generally these sort of shadowy intelligence agencies and like it's probably greatly exaggerated in some ways i I remember i wrote about this series and i also wrote about the dark knight it was something about post 9-11 like paranoia about surveillance and stuff like that and the only reason i did it for the dark knight is because that ending he uses all the phones to to find him and everything 
But yeah, that is definitely a thing where, like, there's seemingly no way to find her, but they still find a way to find her. Yeah, I mean, and I think, like, there's a very interesting wrinkle to this movie in that this movie was produced mostly before 9-11. Mm-hmm. But obviously it comes out in that kind of, like, 10-month window after 9-11. Yeah. And I do think, I don't want to say it gives the series more power, but it is one of those things where, like, uh, I don't think it's about 9-11, but no. it definitely plays into a sense of paranoia and a sense of kind oh. of, like, where the world is in post-9-11 that probably helps it definitely spark uh, more than if it had come up beforehand Lyman to his credit and I guess Gilroy must have agreed with him because he kept writing them this way like said he put some of his own politics into it about like and some of his feelings on like US foreign policy and stuff like that and yeah like you know the Patriot Act and and just the US just been like fuck it we're doing what we want and just the deeply illegal stuff that is going on here. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely an, an interesting part of it. So they follow more leads, they try and put stuff together about, you know, like they found these shipping manifestos and he takes the meeting with the yacht company and and he basically ends up discovering he attempted to murder Wombosi, who is this exiled African dictator who the CIA, like, I guess he knows a bit too much and he's threatening to expose them. They never make it all that clear. Is it implied that they helped get him into power? and then also help depose him when he didn't play ball. Yes, and he knows things and they don't want him to say them. So Bourne was supposed to kill him on his yacht. So he like took these meetings with the yacht company, I guess making it look as though he wanted to buy a yacht so that he could get access to like the blueprints and all that. And it's uh, You find out later, it's like, you know, you pick the yacht, you pick the day, you learn the crew, you hit out on the yacht for five days, like all this stuff. Yeah, but then Wombosi shot him. And at this point, Marie is quite obviously somewhat horrified. So he's like, look, I'll take you somewhere safe and I'll leave you alone. They, they've they planted a body as John Michael Caine, the person who's identified to be his, like, assa- would-be assassin. They've planted a body in a morgue. He goes and is like, it's not him. So they have to have the professor fucking snipe him. And it's like, is this really, like, that much less... Because they make a whole thing of, like, we wanted it to look like the only possible explanation is he was turned on by his own men. That's fine, but as long as it's not like the US murdered this person, surely you're fine. The professor isn't American, so, like, I don't know. They never really fully developed this Wombosy plot. It feels really weird. Did Touchstone get in contact with him and say, oh, we found his body and we it's in a morgue in, no, in I don't, Paris? No, no, I don't. Treadstone officially doesn't exist, I think, is one of the things. Sure, I'm one of those things where I'm kind of going, like, right, so we know how Bourne found out about Kane yeah. was by calling a hotel which he had, like, the last number he called yeah. and was a name on his passport. But how does Wombosy know that Kane is the guy that killed him? Uh, good question. I don't know. I would assume they planted some stuff in some papers. They said man shot in back twice Mediterranean Sea. I don't fucking know. And also Maybe they leaked he, some stuff. Why is he in a morgue know. in Paris when he yep. was killed in the Mediterranean Sea? Interesting point, interesting point. Maybe it wasn't Paris. No, it is Paris because they <laughs> go and visit, don't they? Yeah, paper thin. I don't mean to like pick on the movie. No, the no, movie no, no, is, no. It, it, it's, is... a fun, it's a functional fun movie, but it also shows that when you're not kind of like fully on board with yeah. the kind of plot constraints, these little niggles start to become more prominent and I don't want them to be more prominent because I want to sit back and enjoy a movie. Yeah, and it's like Like, this series when I was younger I was like these are so smart and cool and I overlook this stuff and I can say with most confidence that this is the kind of stuff that will tighten up in the future. I will be devastated if I learn that all three of them are actually a bit shit. Um, I do like him like coaching Marie to go and like get these plans or whatever or, or, or get, what is it? 
they're trying to get like, yeah, like he's, he's like stand there oh, the the look around the room like that's where you need to be when I'll like send a phone call and stuff like that and so he gets ready to send the phone call and then she comes out and goes like I got them because I flirted with the guy because I'm a girl and yeah. guys like <laughs> yeah I think it's like they're trying to get his phone bill or something so they can dial all the numbers he called from the hotel or some shit I don't know but yeah so he takes her to I thought for years that this is the stepbrother or the half brother but it's just a friend of hers and I was gonna be like why does this German woman have an English brother with American kids but it's just a friend so there you go uh, is it just a, is it just a friend or is yeah. it one of those things where like quote unquote just a friend oh well maybe but it's not her brother is the point I think they miss a trick by having the kids not recognize her or like yeah. which I get either implies that he's only hung out with her alone yeah and I, I don't I'm like don't is it, how many years has it been like has it realistically been enough time that he's had a relationship two children and then she's come and like the wife has died and she's changed her hair Let, let's not forget that Bourne makes her cut her hair and dye it and everything and it's enough time that they thought that it's me Marie is a way people talk to their friends I hate this shit in movies like this expositionally shit like how are you doing older brother how is being two years older than me so there's tension obviously because she's now like scared of him and he is going through it himself but they do kind of reconcile but surprise the professor is here time for a shootout on a farm which Jason of course wins he finally learns the name Treadstone and he sends Marie away with most of his money but I do really like that it's again like he's this passive person he's just sitting there trying to not be any bother and then they're talking about the dog innocuously and it's like oh yeah he'll be along in a minute it's like does he normally miss meals and it's like the dog is dead, you all must go to the basement. And it's like, oh, Jesus. And like, <laughs> just freaking out this normal family. And we get this shootout that is very non-Hollywood, I feel. It's quieter, almost. Like, it's a bit subdued. And I don't know, in my head it was actually quite elegant, but like, I watched it and it's like, what really happens here? Like, he scares the birds, Sir Clive Owen moves, and then he just runs up on him and shoots him in the shoulder. It's like, oh. I was, from memory, he, like, tricked him in some weird way, but it's really just, they're just manoeuvring around each other in the field and Bourne just It's, it's interesting how action kind of comes in about 10 seconds spurts this movie. Like, it very much is not an action movie. Like, there is nothing in this film quite as action-packed as, like, the scene where they break into the CIA in, in Mission Impossible or yeah. even the kind of, like, entire last sequence on the train. Action is kind of or as a, a means to an end rather than the focus of the series. A very interesting counterpoint to the other two because obviously like, I feel like Mission Impossible and Bond become known for these kind of like big, huge set-piece moments. I don't know if Bourne ever gets it in a similar way. Uh, um, the third one had some slightly more bombastic stuff, but yeah, it's meant to be more... He's running and if need be, he'll fuck some people up, but it's more of a running away or trying to discover stuff type I mean, thing. I, yeah, I think it's one of those interesting things where obviously like... Robert Ludlum is American, but it does feel like he's kind of more influenced by the Euro spy thrillers of of kind of more like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and that kind of thing, which is yeah. uh, like those more cerebral, those more yeah. slower paced, like the Jean Le Carré, rather than your equivalent of like your lead child kind of like big brash stuff. It's more quiet international espionage rather than. Yeah, it's what they're going for and I think they will nail, but they haven't quite yet. That stuff is here. It's just not very slick. And then the other stuff just doesn't really cut mustard. I please get better. I really like them bonding over the headaches and stuff and, and his line, look at what they make you give. It's like this little, you know, it's a little bit overly contrived. He's like giving him more information than he should. He's like, oh, Treadstone, that's us. That's you and me. It's like, what? <laughs> like, that's not how you would talk. But 
I don't know, just these two people that, like, as we learn more about what Treadstone is and everything, they're professionals on other sides, basically, and, like, now that the battle is won or whatever, it's like, there's no need to, like, be a dickhead. And just them bonding just very briefly here, I think it is a nice little moment. Yeah, I, I kind of wish there was more of this. Yeah. Almost like, the professor's the only one, they sent him to attack him in Paris, in, in the apartment, and he manages to wound him and keep him captive, and so you get to build a rapport between the two of them until... Yeah. Treadstone sends someone to kill them both and they kill well, the, the professor or whatever. Don't you worry, Carl Urban will be here next time and <laughs> uh, he does a better job. So they use the professor's phone. They call, well, Jason, he's by himself now. He's sent Marie away. He calls Conklin and he's like, meet me on this bridge, come alone, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, he would get caught if he actually went to this meeting so he instead just puts a tracker on his vehicle tracks him across countries i feel to treadstone's safe house back in paris where we have julia styles just hanging out she yeah, will Ju- be- julia, julia styles keeps hanging out and because the only movie i've seen this series all the way through is jason bourne yeah. and she's like pro- very prominent in the plot of jason bourne i was like yeah huh, she's in it from the beginning i did not realize yeah that. she recurs but she's got very little to do here she's basically just running surveillance out of the safe house. like she's reviewing tape, she's keeping on top of archives, she's connecting people, like, yeah, and she's the one that hands Professor his, his, um, his packet or whatever. So, like, you know, he breaks into this safe house, and we have this final confrontation where Conklin says, you know, your US property, you're a malfunctioning $30 million weapon, and we learn everything, and, and it just feels undercooked. Like, this doesn't feel like a dramatic final scene for this movie. I know that, like, the premise of the movie is him trying to find out who he is, and we do find out who he is in this final confrontation, but it's like, it feels more of a, like, end of the second act type scene, not this is your finale. And then the, the, like, action scene that follows is, like, it's the most action-y besides the car chase, but even that doesn't feel all that good, and, like, him fucking... (laughs) When there's one guy left... Who is it? I know exactly. I know exactly what you're going to say now because I and also thought this. He has the height advantage. Like generally, if you're above, you. I have the higher ground, Anakin. It's over. His decision is to kick a corpse down the middle of the stairs and ride it down. Shoot the guy on the way in this ridiculous first-person shot. And then, like, the body hits the ground and he bounces off it. It's like, why did you do this? Why didn't you just pop like, the guy? And, and it's not like they're only, like, two or three stories up. They're, like, a good five or six stories yeah. when you, like, look down. And you're like, this is untenable. This is one of the most unnecessary things I've ever seen in an action movie. And again, it's, it's one of those things where, like, I would not complain about <coughs> this if it was in a movie that took itself less seriously. Yeah. But because everything surrounding this and that kind of first scene with Castell takes itself so seriously and yeah. builds tension and stuff like that that this like random burst of yeah. stupidity feels so weirdly out of place. Hey, the original ending called for him to be pursued on motorbikes with people with rocket launchers so... <laughs> Who fucking knows what was happening? I mean, that's the thing is, and I feel like it, it really was a wrestling match between because we know where Bond is at this point because Bond is just released Die Another Day in two thousand two, <laughs> yeah, which has invisible cars and a man who gets plastic surgery because he gets diamonds stuck in his face or whatever, yeah, <laughs> and like becomes a completely different actor. No, 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 no. Diamond face is a different guy. Oh, is he? Oh, no, 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 no. The guy who has his sleep removed changes himself from Asian to white dude, and then his henchman is Diamond Face. 
It's seven kinds of fucked up. Yeah. yeah, and then and Mission Impossible Two is two years old at this point, and Tom Cruise is struggling to make Mission Impossible Three. Yeah. So you you have like the two franchises we're comparing it to, and obviously like we we have skipped over the the nineties buttons to kind of speed this up, but yeah. like they are reveling in kind of stupidity and big brash kind yeah. of like campness at this point, and it makes this movie feel like it's struggling to not be camp. And like that that there might be studio pressure to make it camper, but then it's interesting that like it goes the other way it gets more serious but just better executed so it isn't just, I, I don't know maybe i don't know well i i have to feel that 9-11 probably did yeah create a sea change because i mean and also the fact that die another day is critically reviled like if yeah. we were doing brosnan bond as well as craig bond it probably would be the worst movie that we would cover as part of this yeah quite handily oh mission impossible 2 is at least fun in its dumbness like <laughs> also like this movie for all the like stuff we're nitpicking at here i think a large part of it is it hasn't aged well because at the time it was very well reviewed and it was very like oh this is like a thinking man spy movie and, and all this sort of stuff and like it seems kind of dumb now but I think maybe it's like they had this big struggle the reviews were good and they're like okay maybe there is something to this and the like post 9-11 paranoia surveillance society stuff so maybe they were just like all right well we'll just get someone different and like lean into this more I don't know, but it's a weird fucking ending, and, like, Conklin then gets assassinated by Mannheim, who is the third agent who I mistakenly thought comes back, but he doesn't. Abbott ordered this, Brian Cox, he's like, right, fuck this, kill Conklin, we'll shut Treadstone down, and then they just move on to the next thing, and it's like, I think that is a terrifying part of it as well, is, like, the number of shady CIA operations that are, like, the number of spinning plates that are at the CIA is, is kind of scary. And Jason tracks down Marie, who's running a scooter rental business in Mykonos. A really nice touch is the little red bag is hanging up with flowers in it in her shop. I think that's quite nice. And we get the Moby song that plays in all three of them uh and i don't know about jason bourne probably but i like that as an ending this sort of one-two punch of abbott just moves on to the next thing and jason finds marie but like after such an underwhelming sort of final fight and final confrontation it's like ah, okay i guess we're over then but yeah this was humbling to learn that a movie that i greatly liked it may in fact not be good but I, I don't think it's bad. And I think, as I said, I think it just hasn't aged that well. And that maybe time has just not been kind to it. I am reasonably sure it gets better. Because, like, growing up, I was like, I like all three of these almost equally. And the second one, I think, is the best reviewed one. I was like, oh, why do you like that one so much more than the others? And maybe it's going to turn out, oh, the second one is just super good. So hopefully that is the case. It feels like Born Supremacy is the cleanest one. Because looking at the kind of, like, Tony Gilroy's, like, credits after this, like, the, the second one is the only one in which he is the sole credited scriptwriter. Yeah. And then Ultimatum, he gets a couple of co-writers on it, and I don't know how much that affects it. And then, yeah. obviously, he, he goes on to direct Legacy. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's going to be fun when we get there. Yeah, he does He does Legacy, and then the only thing he's directed after that is he directed Rogue One, but not really. <laughs> yeah, the third one is very... It, it ups the stakes, because they are going for an ending. The second one is what I think of when I think of all three of them, is, I guess, the thing. And I guess I've just lied to myself and told myself it's in all of them, but yeah. we got about two weeks until we, we discuss Spawn Supremacy. Yes. We have Mission Impossible 2 first. I'm looking forward to doing Supremacy. I'm also, in a weird way, looking forward to... Mission Impossible 2. It's been a long 
time. But before we can we can get there, we do have some business to clear up. So Villain Watch, which we have brought back from Better Mass Marvelous Journey. Chris Cooper is naturally good at being unlikable, but Conklin isn't all that memorable. I think it is interesting that they cut this like real world villain, Carlos the Jackal, who was Bourne's nemesis and like is a feels like a Bond villain almost, even though he's a real person, but it felt like that kind of relationship between them. And instead they're like, our villain is basically Oliver North. It is a CIA, like, shadowy business man. But yeah, not all that memorable. I think Brian Cox sort of outdoes him, even though he's underbaked as well so it's like you've just got these actors just walking around not really being all that memorable uh, yeah i feel i feel like they overcomplicate these scenes to kind of pay off that at the end abbott kills conklin through yeah. manheim and it's like for the first movie if you want to be cleaner you only have one of them you get rid of the stuff with one like maybe he succeeds and yeah. it's just kind of like an undercurrent so you get rid of like those kind of things and it is just he is reporting to higher-ups at the cia and maybe they kill him at the end but they don't give it a face to it it's just kind of a a cabal of people and you kind of strip out the two kind of unnecessary subplots or you go the other way i maybe you develop one further and just have one boasting i i don't know and that's the thing, it's like you, you, it, like there's two ways you can go about it and i feel like this kind of middle ground that they took is is weird even if it does give us like walton goggins and josh hamilton hanging out with, <laughs> with chris cooper for a long chunk of the movie and it's yeah. like oh walton goggins yeah i know there's a lot of that here but and it was nice to see Adewale as well castell is hilariously bad Mannheim basically doesn't exist clive owen i think as professor is the closest they get okay, to a memorable character a, a, re- a restructuring this movie where Clive Owen is the Castell character at that point in the movie and then they kind of travel together until they get to the to the farm yeah like make, <laughs> like really make him seem elite rather than just here's a trio of knuckleheads who are trying to catch Jason Bourne and only one of them's got his shit together like so we for the Mission Impossibles we, we like to talk about how did Tom Cruise survive because he does a lot of his own stunts but while Matt Damon is doing his here we didn't think that was appropriate what is Bourne known for? Bourne is known for shaky cam and removing frames and making you feel a little bit sick. Is that the case here? No, because they're not really doing it yet. The average length of a shot is four seconds, and I feel that will get smaller. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those movies where, like, because, like, that's the thing. It's like, even as someone who hasn't seen them, as someone who has listened to the critical conversation about summer blockbusters and the influence they have, I would say, even more so than Mission Impossible and Bond, Bourne has left an actual cinematic visual language. Yep. Out there, and it's probably the most influential cinematic language wise. Like, because you can look at the fight scenes in something like Captain America Civil War and go, Yeah, no, they are influenced by Bourne. Yeah, like I've seen enough clips from Bourne to go, Yeah, no, they're doing the whole zoom in on a punch, cut away beforehand, kind of like, Yeah, and, and we can argue whether or not it makes a fight scene more or less good because the whole reason they do it is to kind of to hide stuff and to also kind of like lower the age rating so you don't have punches connecting and like reactions to them happening, but they do make a fight scene feel like more visceral and kind of like quicker faster yeah like there is a benefit to them when it's done well but it became kind of a crutch for movies to go from an r rating to a pg-13 rating it feels like yeah and then you get this sense of oh it's refreshing when you have long shot fights and and one take fights and and sort of that kind of stuff yeah that is definitely part of its legacy the, the born legacy but yeah it's not really there yet the fights feel pretty basic the visual language isn't hasn't been set up 
so we will keep track of it. But yeah, I mean, but there isn't there isn't much to the fights in this movie. Like, because the, the the most the most born like fight scene in this movie really is the scene on the bench with the police officer at the beginning. Is yeah, it? that's the one. And our final one: female agency. So Marie is an actual honest to god civilian who is not you know expected to know things and I, she still comes across as less useless than your average Bond girl who frequently <laughs> is supposed to be a spy of Bond's like renowned they do bang as well they do bang they do bang but it's I don't know it's not in a rapey James Bond way also not in a weirdly did they bang or did they not bang way like Mission Impossible because <laughs> <laughs> of uh, Tom Cruise <laughs> Tom Cruise's lack of chemistry with women Jason actually listens to her which I think is nice like she's offered genuine choices like would you like to leave genuinely you can right now i can make that happen i like that she gives him shit for his like paranoid behavior like you know oh i've scrubbed down everything we've touched and like oh can i get up and walk around while i leave footprints and it's like ah nice one he's overly forceful with her when they discover some of the truth like you know like yanking her around and like shoving her against the thing and i, I don't appreciate any of that ever but i think for the most part she has agency like marie is her own person going rogue and like getting the bill for herself and it's like yeah maybe the trope of like oh i flirted my way into it isn't great but i do like that we don't see it like they don't ask yeah. the actress to do the flirty thing but it comes is, across it as is, like men are stupid it is one of those things where she doesn't die to kind of further the plot, which I also think is like a move that they do, which is like she disappears for Act 3, which I think is a smart thing to do because yeah. it kind of like clears the decks a little bit. Like, this isn't a place for a civilian and they get to have the reunion at the end. Yeah. But this isn't like end of Act 2, the professor succeeds in killing Marie and sets off the kind of like final plot of the series. Do you want to talk about Julia Stiles? Yeah, I guess she's getting fucked here because she's <laughs> just sort of like a glorified secretary assistant type character, but she will have her day. Because that's the thing, because she's, she's done 10 things I hate about you at this point and like save the last dance and like so she is like someone who is appealing to a particular kind of film girl which tends to be kind of like younger and female which is weird when you realise that they've cast her in this and she functionally has nothing to do. Yeah, it feels like an odd, like, why did you go get her? Why didn't you just get some rando? But then they do expand her role. But did they know they were going to expand her role when they made yeah, ex- this? Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> like, she's she's done movies that make her recognisable up to this point. She has Mona Lisa smile in between this movie and Born Supremacy. Like, was it a decision that they were like, oh, we underutilised her and this gives us another actress that we can, like, have come back for the sequel to make it feel like we've got a plan? Because, like, there's quite a few people to come back to the next one, isn't it? Yeah. I think the biggest strength of the opening trilogy is the connectiveness and how people return and how plot elements pick up from film to film and stuff like that. I think for now, at least, Bourne is winning the female agency category. Yeah, no, I, um, I would agree. Um, but I feel like in the next movie, there is potential that Frank Potente might not hang around for much longer. I can neither confirm nor deny. What I can confirm is if you go to Enter the if you go to Michael Matt on SoundCloud, if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, then next week you can hear us talk about doves and slow motion. It's, it's Mission Impossible 2, baby. Rubber masks on everyone, bike chases, chimera. I remember that out of nowhere, that that's a plot MacGuffin. And I really am genuinely looking forward to talking about the insanity that almost killed the Mission Impossible franchise. Yeah. I feel like we've shot ourselves in a foot for our inevitable John Wee miniseries. By everyone. <laughs>